Fuck you. That's my name. <laughs> Hey, this is Sharks Across Hollywood, and today on the show, we're going to make the Rev really weirded out because this is my first time watching this movie. I can't wrap my head around that how that happened. When I was watching it, I'm like, have I ever watched another one of their movies? Because I forgot all the movies that they made, like, the second I started watching this one. And I'm like, yes, uh, I've seen a bunch of their movies. <laughs> we're speaking, of course, about the 1996 neo-noir classic, Fargo. Directed by Joel Cohen, written by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Oh, is it just directed by one of them? Apparently Ethan directed, but was uncredited. I'm guessing it's a Director's Guild thing. Oh, yeah, probably and they were. Then, he was just there, and he's like, dude, you should do this. And he's like, okay, cool, sure. But Joel Cohen is the credited director, and uh, Joel and Ethan wrote it together. I, th- I really thought they wrote and directed all their shit together. Uh, well, I mean, apparently they do. It's just the Director's Guild has rules about that kind of thing i know that came up during what was it fucking sin city robert rodriguez wanted frank miller frank to share miller directing credit and the director's guild was like no so robert rodriguez was like okay go fuck yourself and then frank miller's like fine i'll make my own shitty movie later the spirit i like he the went spirit. <laughs> directed okay, the spirit. i actually <laughs> enjoyed the spirit quite a bit it's very much not sin city at all but uh I oh. thought it was a bucket of fun. He was trying to make it a little Sin City. I mean, he made it in the style, but yeah. it has a real sense of humor that was nothing like Sin City. I don't know if I like Sin City, actually. I do like Sin City, um, but I, I understand why some people don't. You know, uh, I, well, I haven't watched I it in a really it. long time, so I maybe that's one of those that I need to go back to. But you know what I'm finding weird? Like, I don't know. Ben Affleck is in the new Robert Rodriguez movie. Robert Rodriguez has a new movie? Yes. And I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but I'm wondering what the budget is because... Because I'm like, you have Affleck, who has done really low-budget movies in the past, but it looks a lot bigger than a lot of his movies have in the past. And I know he likes to keep a low budget, so the studio will leave him the hell alone. I don't know what he's up to these days. The last thing I remember him directing was uh, Stab. But, um, oh, that's right. Okay, nope. I'm like, wait, what the hell are you talking about? Took me a second. Uh, we're we're doing this in the evening again, and this is one of those. It's it's going to get weird because we're both old and tired, and it's really hot up in this room. So I'm pro- I'm probably going to like start trailing off and just passing out here just from the heat <laughs> up in this upstairs area that I'm recording in. Yeah, it, no, I, I cooled off my bedroom last night. I got it nice and cold, and then I locked it down for the day, and it stayed relatively cool because I have my furnace off right now. And it's actually funny that we're doing this movie when it's so fucking hot in our houses because this takes place in North Dakota and Minnesota where it's just cold all the time even though i know it's not but when you think of north dakota what do you think you think snow and funny accents well i mean it's literally so cold over the course of the story that marge's police cruiser its battery needs a jump yes and i you know i'm being from montana i i know a little bit about that just a little having grown up with shitty cars uh with shitty batteries because we always bought used batteries i know a little bit about it myself Oh yeah, you probably know a little bit more about it than I do. We always plugged our cars in. Yeah, we don't we've never done that. I have heard that that's a thing though. I did have a car that I could do that to and I did it and uh, well, it's like it started, so fine, I guess. Oh, the good old days. Now we wait. It's not the old days cuz we plug our cars in now, not everybody. <laughs> Shit. There are a lot of people plugging their cars in these days. Oh yeah. This is totally really truly 
based on a true story about the Swede murders of 1987. That was my joke. They're Norwegians, Andrew. He's Swedish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Swedish guy in question is Peter Stormare, who I've seen in a thousand fucking movies. And I only, like, when I didn't recognize his face, I'm always like, I know that voice. That fucking voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think this was his uh, his first big role. I could be wrong about that, but... I know that he was doing, like, a play or something when they originally tried to cast him in uh, one of their other movies and somebody told him like don't do that shit or something <laughs> the, was it the swede murders yeah the swede murders that's exactly what it was the swede murders is that racist <laughs> against swedes probably yeah. <laughs> do you really give a shit sorry Dolph you're still one of my favorite actors who is not Russian at all but played a Russian anyways I'm good with that. I got no particular hatred for Swedes. I think the Swedes are just fine. Yeah, it looks like this was his first real major movie. Um, I mean, he was in, he had a very small role in the Robert De Niro, and I think it was Robin Williams movie Awakenings as a chemist. Well, he got bigger. Um, he's still, he's still always like a side character, but he's always like fun to watch. Although I will say it was memorable because I remember the character specifically. The first time I remember seeing him, I've brought this movie up before, but it's a movie that nobody's ever seen, I don't think, even though it has relatively famous people in it. It's uh, the movie hero with Jeremy Sisto. Oh my God. <laughs> How has that come up twice on this podcast? Because it's a fun movie. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's got the guy. Who's... I've still never seen it. You got it, man. I'm you just gotta. aware of it. You got to watch it. I, that's one of those movies that I bought at a video store for 25 cents when it was closing. And he plays the suspicious character. Yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> He runs around stealing people's audiences. Oh, yeah, that's right. You told me about <laughs> yeah, that. That's the whole conceit oh, of the movie, God. that everybody has an audience, even if you don't see him. But Jeremy Sisto, <laughs> he sees his audience. I have to check this movie out. I really do. I haven't watched it in a long time, so I, it could be fucking horrible. I don't know. Uh, it might be, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, it does star Jeremy Sisto. And it has so, an interesting premise, even if it sucks. Chance. So, you know. So yeah, are you telling me you didn't see the tuxedo before you saw the movie hero? No, I saw the tuxedo before that, I guess. So, yeah. Boom. Was he in that? You just got schooled, Oh, oh was, he, was Peter Stormare in that? Yes, Peter Stormare was in the, the tuxedo. Who, who? Although, I don't know how large his character was, because I do not remember the tuxedo very well. I only remember <laughs> that it made me so fucking angry, which is probably why I can't remember Peter Stormare's character. I was just seething with anger the moment they CGI'd Jackie Chan's body during an action scene. You know what you need to do? You need to really take a step back and realize that you're getting mad about, like, one of the worst movies Jackie Chan's ever made. But that's why, because <laughs> you took, like, I had fallen in love with Jackie Chan at that time. Like, I saw Rumble in the Bronx, obviously, was my first. It was everybody's first. It's al almost everybody, yep. And then I saw, uh, let me see, I think Twin Dragons came out after that, and Mr. Nice Guy, and First Strike, and, like, it was just boom 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 awesome 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 and then the tuxedo was the first <laughs> one that i made it to the theater for and what did they give me they cgi'd out jackie chan during the action sequences and i just i i i'm pretty sure i just spent the whole movie screaming <laughs> fuck you at the screen but rush hour and rush hour 2 and i think shanghai nights and shanghai noon all came out before the tuxedo i think oh okay there you go even, all right, he had started to lose some steam by Shanghai Nights. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I loved that one. You know what? I, I like, enjoy Shanghai Noon, though. I like Shanghai I Nights better Russia than Shanghai Noon. Too. 
Well, I I didn't at the time. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say whether or not it's actually a better movie. Yeah, I, I, I just didn't enjoy it more at the time. Yeah, his his Western movies are a little not great. The Foreigner fucking rules. I don't know what he was doing that that year. Holy shit! Oh, that's right. And uh, Stormare played Dino Velvet in Eight Millimeter. That was perfect casting. Kind of like this. You know, there are other people in the movie too. Ah, fuck them. I just want to talk about Peter Stormare <laughs> the whole time. This has one of my favorite tropes. At least there's something like to look at, and it's not just black, like white words on black on a black screen. The super long ass opening credits. It actually does something to set the tone of the movie. Speaking of which. You sort of hinted that uh, that you may have done a little research on that opening claim that they make. Oh, yeah. I I watched the documentary that's on the DVD. And, oh, no. No, you know what I did? First, I'm like, I'm watching the movie and I'm like, okay, is this fucking real? Because this seems real weird. So I Google it and immediately <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, they're, they're, they made this whole fucking thing up. Well, not the whole thing. There was one true element. Oh, okay. And that's what they based the whole rest of the movie on. Can you guess what the one true element was? That a guy paid somebody to kidnap his wife. Nope. So he could get money. No, the part that sounds like it should be just legit, which people have actually done before. That's not it. Oh, God. It's something really dumb, isn't it? It's probably the most outlandish part of the whole movie. Oh. Also the most iconic. Oh, the wood chipper thing. Yes. That's right. It's okay, no. Wood chipper. I knew that, actually. I have, I've heard that before. Yes, that that actually <laughs> happened, which is fucked up. It's pretty fucking horrifying. <laughs> Although... The real story, while definitely horrifying, is not as gruesome as the movie is. Because uh, in the movie, he just chops him up and then feeds him into the wood chipper. The real story, what happened, is this dude killed his wife, froze her body in a chest freezer, cut it up with a chainsaw, and fed it through a wood chipper. And they found the wood chipper, but couldn't definitively say whose body had been fed to it. And so it's it's literally the first case in which a man was convicted of murder in the absence of a body. Because the uh, the forensic investigator simulated, he, he, he bought an identical model wood chipper, I believe that's what he said, and he froze a pig and then chopped it up and fed it through the wood chipper and compared the remnants that were found inside the original wood chipper with the remnants that he found that or that resulted from chipping the pig and uh as such was able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that it is possible to feed a person through a wood chipper of course it's fucking possible well it, it wasn't they weren't sure if it was possible to successfully feed an entire body through a wood well, chipper. It's almost like those things are made for grinding shit up or something. Yeah, but they're made for grinding up wood, which has a very specific consistency. And and remember, like private wood chippers are not as strong as like the industrial grade things. This was a private, you know, like like home wood chipper. Well, if you cut somebody up small enough. I think it could get the job done. Well, now we know that you can. It's just that at the time they weren't sure. And That's they really couldn't. funny. Uh, it's they, really they, funny. So they a, had to prove it conclusively. It's really funny in a sick sort of way. I don't want to laugh at that kind of stuff, but I can't fucking help it because <laughs> I'm a sick person living in this shitty world. I got to have some fun. It's okay. I'll laugh at it for you because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a self-confessed piece of shit. How about that uh, opening credits with that long-ass car ride, which actually serves a purpose a little bit. We don't know what yeah, purpose I'm, it does serve, but... <laughs> yet well it's yeah it's to it's to show what's going on you know to to sort of set oh, that the was stage. that what movies do believe it or not um <laughs> some of them do yeah they're not all asylum pictures so let's meet jerry and these other 
two fucking weirdos. What are, what are their names again? Carl and I just and oddly enough, Peter Stormare is not Carl. Uh, he is Gary. Surprised me a little. Gayer. Gar Grimsrud. Yeah, I just called him the Swede, and I called Steve Buscemi Buscemi because that's who he is. Uh, yeah, Steve Buscemi is Carl Showalter, and Jerry Lundergaard is played by William H Macy in his Academy Award nominated performance. Hey, hey, uh, he deserved it. It's a good one. He did not win, though. Frances McDormand won. Oh, well, her she's also good. He's at a bar. He's driving the car. He's the one who's driving the car. He stops at a bar, uh, meets Buscemi and uh, the Swede. Barrer, I, I can't fucking... That's That's his name. Yes, uh, from now on, that is his name, and you have to pronounce it exactly that way for the rest of the podcast. Garrerer. Uh So he's an hour late, and these two aren't really into that they're Buscemi especially because he's the one Buscemi's always the one with the big mouth but especially in this instance because Peter Stormare barely talks in this movie oh which yeah is, which I is bet perfect. you could fit I bet you could fit every line of Stormare's dialogue on a cocktail napkin and you wouldn't even have to write small no no but it's perfect he has this great face like just watching him look at stuff is kind of fun oh he's He's perfect in this. I wouldn't change a thing. Him and Buscemi together, perfection. Although I will say, it's completely implausible that these two guys would get together on this job. Because they're clearly not friends. No, and we don't really know like their origin story specifically because we meet the guy who hooked Larry up with. Which one? Which one does Larry know? Uh, or which one does Shep know? Shep knows gear. Okay, okay. I, I, I wasn't completely clear on that, but... Yeah, okay. no, because uh, right before the end, Carl says, and tell Shep I'm going to kick his ass for ever setting me up with you or something like that. Like, it's, like it's he, maybe it, maybe it's not exactly that, but, but basically Buscemi says that Shep set them up together. So but, I'm not saying that Shep didn't know Carl, but... He does uh, specifically say, I don't vouch for the other guy. But, uh, but I'm not entirely uh, sure who the other guy is, so... <laughs> Gear was uh, apparently Shep's friend because Buscemi tells him to tell tell him that he's coming for him. They're gonna do like crimes or some shit. That's, They're very that's clearly plotting a crime, and uh, as the conversation unfolds, we realize exactly what the crime is. Yeah, Jerry's a fucking asshole. So the whole conceit here is that people from North Dakota and Minnesota and shit, they're all like these nice people. They're like Canadians. And they're Very all nice. Like Canadians. But Jerry's a fucking asshole. Like Jerry in a nice has, in a nice person disguise. Yeah, Jerry's sort of a piece of shit. I mean, crime aside, he's sort of a piece of shit. Like, just looking at the way he conducts his business. There's the scene with the two people who he's sold the car to, and his whole method of getting them to <laughs> succumb to his basically just straight up lying to them about this undercoat for the car he sold them, which he's tagging on an extra $500 for, is to just <laughs> act like a wounded puppy until they agree to pay it yeah he sucks of course he's a fucking car salesman too the fucking <laughs> smarmy nonsense he's, i mean yeah he's technically he's, not a used car salesman but eh. no he's a new car salesman yeah. but he's still a car salesman and ugh. yeah so yeah it turns out his wife's dad is rich and he'll pay owns he'll, and owns, owns the, the dealership lot. yes and he'll He'll pay lots of money to get his daughter back, and so we'll, it'll be eighty thousand dollars. I'll give you forty. I'll get. I'll take forty, and I need this. And it took me a minute. It took me a second watch to be like, "Oh, I get it," because I'm a fucking idiot. Because <laughs> that he's not actually asking for eighty thousand dollars. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Took me a minute. 
because I'm a smart boy. I don't know if you picked up on it. I didn't pick up on it my first time through. It did take me a little more. Like, it took me at least one or two more watchings before I started to piece the whole thing together because I watched it when I was very young and I was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But uh, Jerry is has done something in his extracurricular activities to put himself in a position where he needs about three quarters of a million dollars just to dig himself out of trouble. Yeah, he... Uh... They never say what. No, it has something to it's fraud, obviously. It's definitely fraud of some kind. Cuz he keeps getting calls at the at his office by some guy going like, "Hey man, uh, I can't read these serial numbers on these on on this thing you faxed me and we really need to match those things up with with the cars you said that were sold." <laughs> so yeah, he made up a bunch of fake cars to get oh, $300,000 or something. And he does some shit that I can relate to so hard, but it's the worst thing in the world that you can do, which is his whole way of coping with it is not to come up with a plan. It's just to put it off until later. <laughs> He's well, just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a fax. I'll fax those over to. Oh, oh, sorry. You don't want a fax. You're right. You, I'll mail them over to you. Yeah, that's he bought himself two days. What are you going to do in that time, Jerry? Try to have his wife kidnapped and collect a million dollars. But still, how are you? He's like, Jerry is not thinking ahead. How are you going to account for the million dollars once you pay the money back? You know, it's like you can't. He's not smart. This guy is not smart. No. <laughs> Got to plan a little bit ahead. Jerry so, yeah. was never going to succeed in this operation, but it doesn't help <laughs> that everything goes wrong. Literally everything that can go wrong goes wrong. He goes home after the meeting with those two. He, he uh, The meeting is, uh, isn't it in Minnesota? Did he drive all the way out to Minnesota somewhere? No, the meeting is in Fargo. Oh, is it? Okay. Yes, that's oh, that's, that's right. No, nope, no, nope, I'm, I'm the whole thing I'm starts is in Fargo because most of the movie takes place in Minnesota. It's true, but it's called Fargo. Ethan Cohen said about it. He said he said there's two reasons that they called it Fargo. The first is that the catalytic event occurred in Fargo, the event that kicked off the whole thing, which is Jerry meeting with Carl and Gear. And second, Fargo sounds way better than the name of the city that it takes place in. Brainerd, Brainerd, Brainerd. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Fargo sounds a lot better than Brainerd. So he goes home after the meeting. His wife's really sweet and very, very Midwestern, very, very North Dakota. Her dad is there and he he's not thrilled that he's there. I don't or maybe he is thrilled. He's like, is he staying for dinner? And, you know, he's kind of a disconnected dickhead. He's like watching hockey and Jerry goes in there. He's like, hey, what you watching? He's like gophers. Oh, no, this guy right off the bat, as soon as you see him, you know exactly what his role in this movie is going to be and exactly how he's going to fuck everything up for Jerry. So they're having a family dinner, right? They have a son also, and he's he he just ate and he's like, "Hey, can I be excused? I'm going to go to McDonald's." And the grandpa's like, "Uh, you going to McDonald's? You just ate." They don't fucking they don't just drink milkshakes out there. I'm like, "Gives a shit." Well, he, he doesn't quite scream it like no, that. No, he's, <laughs> he's a little more midwestern restrained. But basically, I don't know what he, he does thinks. say exactly that, and and that is the undertone of what he's saying is he's screaming it. But the funny part is when Jerry's talking about, like, finances and stuff, Jerry says, well, yeah, me, Gene, Gene is his wife, and Scotty, I believe is the son's name. He's like, yeah, we'll all be fine because you have lots of money, and then the... <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> not what he like says. That. What he that says, he said, he's trying to pitch, he's trying to pitch the old man on a deal to buy a... a patch of land and turn it into a parking lot oh that's right he already he does already bring it up doesn't he that's right and yeah and he says to him he says this could be real good for me and gene and scotty he goes gene and scotty never have to worry i wrote that line down because i'm like that's really funny (laughs) clearly 
clearly wow. he likes you. What a dick. Well, Although, in, in fairness, fairness, if my daughter married Jerry, I'd, I'd fucking hate him too. Now, Buscemi and uh, the Swede, again, is what I call him. Grrr, mm-hmm. grrr. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're driving to Minnesota to get the job, to, to do the job, and they're sitting... And, of course, Buscemi's just like, yap, yap, yap. Stormare is not yap, yap, yap at all. He looks at Buscemi and goes, where is Pancake's house? And apparently that was, like, very... The Coen brothers were like, you you need to say it like that, because apparently he didn't say it like that. He says, where is the Pancake house? And they're like, no, it's not a typo. Our scripts don't have typos, apparently. (laughs) Stormare is like, guys, you you made a typo here. They're like, no, no. We want you to sound like an idiot. <laughs> and Buscemi's <laughs> like, dude, I don't want any fucking pancakes. I want a place where I can get a shot and a beer, maybe a maybe a steak or something. And then they have this big, long, conver- not even really that long, just a conversation about doing what they have to do and fucking going and fine, fine, we'll get pancakes and then we'll go get laid. Yep, that is uh, Buscemi's contribution because we learned very quickly that uh, the Swede is not a man who negotiates. None. None, none whatsoever. Not at all. And uh, Carl really should have learned that lesson sooner. <laughs> What's Shep's deal? Shep seems like he's trying to get his shit together, at least kind of. Why is he still in bed with this dude? Like, just a habitual offender, I guess? Gear is the kind of guy who is extremely useful in a very specific type of situation. Maybe not this one, because he gets a little uppity when people start making noise. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> he's not terribly restrained. But he's very clearly 100% comfortable with putting bullets through people's heads. We'll get there because this movie's fun right now. Uh, we can make fun of people, and and, and it's it's all it's all good. It's all good. Um, then this, where we we learn officially that Jerry's a car salesman, and you know he we he has that interaction with that with that couple about the fucking true coat stuff and how and then he goes into his boss's office. He's like, I'm going to go see if there's anything the boss can do to get this price down a little lower for you. So he walks in there. The boss is watching TV or no, he's watching hockey. Cause everybody's watching hockey. He asks him, Hey, do you have an extra ticket for the game? And the boss looks at him and goes, basically get the fuck out of my face. But he's like, are you kidding me? And then he walks back in. Well, the boss never does this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very positive. We'll knock a hundred dollars off for you. <laughs> and the dude is like, fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, you're a liar. You're a you're a friggin' liar. You fucking liar. And then his wife is like, oh, calm down there. <laughs> and then and then Jerry just does that thing where he goes all wounded puppy dog, but he doesn't he doesn't give the guy the five hundred dollars off that he no. promised. No, he does not. But the guy succumbs and he's like, let's just get that checkbook and get out of here. Uh, that's... And that's the reason guys like Jerry Lundegaard are able to make a living is because eventually other people are just have other shit to do and so they cave yeah i i hate this guy so much he's the worst and macy plays him so well oh perfect yeah it's perfect casting this is this is one of those almost perfect movies i yeah i'm a little annoyed that it took me so long to watch it should we just do a history lesson on fucking paul bunyan because everybody talks about it so fucking much in this movie (laughs) you're gonna have to do that i i felt no inclination i have never been interested in the story of paul bunyan the only thing i have is what they taught me in like third grade and most of that is forgotten um he was a giant who liked to chop down trees and he had a friend named babe who was a giant blue ox he's an american folk legend yes and uh he invented hamburger no ground yeah he invented like hamburgers or some shit he sat on his ground beef. I don't remember if that's the same story, but I remember that <laughs> thing. I don't fucking know, man. So either way, Carl and Gurrer are at the are at the Blue Ox, which is a like bar hotel 
place and they're fucking these two chicks who are also very minnesota <laughs> minnesota oh my god yeah there's lots of yaws being thrown oh yeah around. they're fucking in the same room <laughs> yes within arm's reach one could reach out his right arm the other could reach out his left arm and they could hold hands if they wanted to oh that would have been so sweet i could see them making this work no i i have a feeling it's going to end badly for both of them I think Gear is probably going to hurt Carl in a way that the relationship just isn't going to recover from. Uh, he's just going to have a headache. It'll be fine. In the next scene there, Scotty is talking to his mom, and he wants to try out for hockey, but he can't for some reason. Oh, because he has he has a, his grades are too low. And she's like, you have a C average. You can't try out for hockey if you have a C average. You need to get your grades up. You're better than that, basically, giving her the talk. And then he's like, what the fuck, mom? And he actually says, like, this is fucking stupid or something. <laughs> And then very she 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 puts it so well too. It's such a it's such a mom way to say it. She says, "You're not a C student, but you've got a C average. It's that disparity that your father and I yeah, are concerned the about." Disparity. Do you know what disparity means? Yes, mom. And then and then his grandpa's on the phone and he's like, "Dad, will you tell mom there's no fucking way?" And he's like, "Whoa, let's watch the language there, Mister." because <laughs> that's how you do it let's watch the language there yes so her dad calls to tell jerry hey we're interested in in the property that you were telling me about so come into the office at 2 30 very sternly or 2 30 oh yeah this guy this guy is all business man it's like ah it looks like a pretty sweet deal if these numbers are right uh yeah come on in 2 30 uh, we'll see you then. Bye. <laughs> he doesn't even say goodbye. He just hangs up. Yep. And then uh, Jerry then goes and he calls Shep up and he says, well, these two no, he, guys. No, he doesn't call Shep up. He goes to Shep in the dealership garage because Shep is a mechanic at the dealership. I thought I thought that came later for some reason. But yeah. OK. Nope. Yeah. He goes. He goes and sees Shep. I like Shep. Like I knew I recognized him. Oh, what's what's Shep in? He's played by Steve Revis and okay. he's in the longest yard. He plays Babyface Bob. If you've ever seen that movie, the original or the, the, Adam, the Sandler Adam Sandler remake. one. OK, uh, I have seen it, but I do not remember most of the characters. He plays the guy who like ends up in the in the commentary booth and doesn't smile or talk or anything. All of a sudden, okay. like the, they throw the throw the football at the guards nuts and then he starts laughing or some shit. For me, I knew I recognized him from somewhere else. He is in a Disney Channel original movie starring two of, of the course. three Lawrence brothers, Joey and Andy. It's called Horse All Sense. Right. And yes, it takes place in Montana. It's got a horse in it. Of course it does. Naturally. But uh, Joey Lawrence is a rich asshole and he has to go spend some time with his with his cousin who is played by his brother on the farm that him, <laughs> that that they they own and this dude plays a plays a character named Mule. He's like he's just a farmhand that that, that works with him but but yeah. It, it's it's fun to see him be a really smiley nice dude in that and like make jokes about Italian cows and shit and then watch him in this when he's this stoic not super friendly guy no uh he, he shows just how unfriendly he can be later on in the movie yeah Jerry brings up that there were two guys there and he's like well I only vouched for the one I'm sure since you vouched for the one the other guy's just just fine it was never gonna work out for you dude <laughs> and, and he fuck you and he says you know I might not need him because uh because, you know, I, I might have come into some money and then Chef's just like, call him up. And he's like, I've been trying. They're just not answering their phone or whatever. <laughs> well, wait, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe. Yeah, it is a little confusing, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little confusing because Shep only vouched for the one guy. But which one did Shep vouch for? 
the well, one the we're not one guy figure it out here i'm sure no um, but he, he vouched for one guy and now there are two guys involved and chef didn't vouch for one of them nope and he doesn't really give a shit either he's just like yeah i didn't vouch for that guy go call him and tell him that you don't need him anymore i'm like good Don't luck with that didn't vouch for him because uh you know criminals aren't usually into like canceling plans like that good luck on that one yeah, especially not when money's involved i know it's not related to what we were talking about but i had the thought and uh so i figured i'd mention it did you have this experience too where this movie's only 93 minutes long it's not long and i don't mean to imply that it moves slowly because it doesn't it moves pretty quickly but for some reason, based on the the quality level and the darkness of the subject matter, for some reason, I expect this movie to be two hours plus. Did I like say I ju- that to you before? No, no, <laughs> because... I just I just had that thought while I was because I, I went to watch it today and I picked it up and I was like, there's no way this thing's under two hours because I didn't have two hours until we were going to record and i looked at the time just to see if i could get another viewing in. and sure enough 93 minutes i'm like holy shit i can get another viewing in and i did it seems like it should be more than two hours long i literally had that exact same thought like the day before i watched it i bring it downstairs you know and i'm like okay we'll watch this it's probably super fucking long i don't know if we can do it tonight i look at it and i'm like no i i literally had that exact same thought i'm like how the fuck is this movie being being this talked about Oscar winning kind of movie, I always assume <laughs> that they're like these epically long things. <laughs> but no, it's a 90 minute movie. Especially in the 90s, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because in the 90s, yeah. you know, you had you had uh, uh, Scorsese making Casino at three hours plus, you know? It sounds fucking horrible. And, uh, I'm sure it's a great movie, but just shit, no thank you. It is. It's a great movie, but it is long. You know, I, I don't know. Like, that's that's just something, you know, you got Pulp Fiction two and a half hours, you know. You kind of expect these big, critically acclaimed, kind of dark movies, you know, real R, you know, R, R-rated movies. You expect them to be over two hours, and it's, yeah, it's 93 minutes. Yeah, just, like, zips right by. It's really funny that we both had that same thought. And I had never even seen it before. I just knew its reputation. Yeah. And, again, I stress, it's not because it moves slowly, because it doesn't. And we haven't even met the best character yet. Yeah. Uh, oh, but man. we're about to. Yeah, it, get, it gets, gets it's pretty close. Uh, Yeah. They pace this movie in a really interesting way. It's kind of nice. So, Buscemi and, and Gurur are trying, or they're just driving. They're driving, and Buscemi's like chatting and just talking. He won't shut the fuck up. And he asks, he asks Gar a question and he's just like, yup. And he's like, that's all you give me. You haven't said a fucking word. Why don't you like, why don't you talk to me? And he's like, I just did. Cause he said he did. He said, yup. <laughs> and he's like, Hey, how about I, how about I just stop talking to you? You haven't said anything in four hours. How, how would you like it if I just stopped talking to you? But how I'm going to stop talking to you. How, see how you like it. And he, he says like a variation of that, like 12 times. Yeah, he keeps saying, total fucking silence, man. We'll see what you, we'll see how you like it. You'll see. You'll see. He's so annoying. Total fucking silence. (laughs) And he just won't shut up. Oh my God. And then, (laughs) and then right after that scene, this is where Jerry gets the first call in his office about the serial numbers on the cars. And then the dude can't read numbers and it's fraud. Yeah. That doesn't really do much. It's definitely fraud. Yeah. What does he actually end up getting arrested for? We don't know. I, I know exactly what he ends up getting dra- arrested for. Do you want to wait and find out, or do you want me to just tell you? No, we'll we'll wait. We'll wait. Okay. Then we cut to Buscemi and, and the Swede 
uh, and Gar. Sorry, now he's not the Swede. Uh, they break into Jerry's house and they kidnap his wife. And she literally watches the whole thing. She's like sitting there watching TV and just hanging out. <laughs> and like she sees a dude in a mask come to her back door and like <laughs> break it open. And she's just kind of like staring at him. The way she just <laughs> watches him to see what's going to happen. Like this lady is a really good actress because the way she watches that window, she just looks like she can't wait to see what happens next. She's like, what's about to happen? What is this? What's going to happen? She looks truly perplexed and like she can't imagine what is going to happen next. And then he breaks the window and she fucking loses it. <laughs> of course that's what's going to happen. She fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. So they, they like have a, have a little chase. Gurr, he, he grabs her. She bites his hand and he's like, I need, what does he say? I, I need unguent. I need uh, unguent. You see him, he's like, the fuck? What? What? Are you, what? He's like, I need unguent. I don't know what unguent is. I imagine it's like an antiseptic ointment or something. Unguent is a pain-relieving salve or ointment. Yeah, so he's he goes up into the bat. They chase her up into the bathroom. She leaves out the window. Then Buscemi's well, she go she locks the door behind her yeah. and then opens the window. And then when they smash through the door, bathroom's empty. So She's they gone, assume. But he's and you know what they say about when you assume. You take it in the ass, but he's putting he's putting the he's putting the ointment on him, and he kind of looks in the mirror and he sees the shower curtains, and he's like, you know what? And then he turns around, <laughs> and of course, of course, she's in the fucking shower. And she again. This is another one of those moments where, dude, how did you not see that your wife was gonna like literally? If everything <laughs> else went right, his wife was gonna ruin this thing just by being a complete wild card because she. She's wrapped in the shower curtain <laughs> when she bursts out of the shower and yeah. she just starts running from room to room down the stairs, falls just down the stair hard. Fuck it. I thought she was dead then. <laughs> I thought for sure this woman is a total wild card. There's no way to predict what she's going to do. It's really sad that, you know, she was doomed from the beginning because yeah, she's married her, to a fucking asshole because of her foolish choices of her youth. Yes. The uh, you know, I've said it on this podcast before and I'll say it again. Be careful who you marry, folks, because marrying the wrong person is a huge mistake. In fact, don't get married at all. That'd just, be my advice. Yes. Just fuck indiscriminately. Who gives a shit? Let's talk about Jerry getting figuratively fucked in the butt by his wife's father. He goes in for his meeting at 2.30. If uh, it wasn't for the fact that Jerry's father-in-law is such a colossal tool, I would love this scene <laughs> just to see Jerry squirm. But his father-in-law is even worse somehow than Jerry is. Yeah, they bring him in because they're they're like, oh well, I, I've discussed it with such and such, and we're interested. I think it's we think it's a good idea. So we're here to discuss your finder's fee. And Jerry's like, wait, what finder's fee? What what do you mean? They're like, oh, for bringing it to us. What what's your finder's fee? And he's like, what's that like ten percent or some shit? Yeah, he's like he's like. Guys, this you were supposed to give me the money so that I could make the investment. He's like, and what? So we we pay all the money and you get the return when it comes back. But he's like, but I'd pay you back with interest. He's like, dude, if I if I wanted interest, I'd just take it to a bank. Because Jerry's an idiot and he does not plan for shit. It would be delightful to watch Jerry squirm if it wasn't for the fact that his father is his father-in-law is such a colossal tool and is like one of those robber baron types who is is making america even worse than it already is oh god yes it gets even worse for him though when he's like well i don't want to find his fee i want all of it they're like well then he's like and he, and he says he's out of the deal and they're like well fine then i guess you won't mind if we move on it without you yeah so say goodbye to even the finders fee jerry admittedly you know 10% of $750,000 is still $75,000. You tell me that wouldn't help you out there, Jerry? Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. He, he appears to have dug himself pretty deep. 
Yeah, it's it's about three hundred thousand dollars he's in with those cars at least. Yeah, that car fraud is uh <laughs> and who knows what the car fraud was created to cover up. Oh my god, yeah, this could go back a while, huh? Yeah. Jerry might be like four layers deep on bad decisions at this point and then since the deal didn't go through jerry sad walks back to his car but then this is one of the first actual glimpses of him like having a fucking meltdown because he's like scraping the ice off the car he's had to have been in there for like 10 fucking minutes and there's already (laughs) ice just covering his car there's a fucking inch of ice on the car (laughs) and he's trying to scrape it off and then he like freaks out he's like ah fire and then he throws the thing yeah it's a it's it's pretty funny Uh, macy is really He's really giving it. You can just watch Jerry unraveling <laughs> through his eyes. It's so good. It's good. Uh, he goes back home with some groceries, and his wife's gone, obviously. So, the you know, the plan is still going. So he's like, good. One plan didn't work. This one's still going. We're good. And then he's doing the rehearsing how he's going to tell her dad about her missing and stuff. And, God, he's such a prick. <laughs> his, his phone rehearsal. And then he, he actually calls in, and he, and the line picks up, and he's like, he he makes the face like he's about to pour out his guts in this in his rehearsed phone speech and and then he kind of stops he goes oh uh i need to speak to wade please because he got the secretary then we cut to uh Carl? Carl's his name? Carl and Gerber? The movie's about to take a turn, let's yes. let's say cuz up until this point this is just a this is just kind of a quirky comedy with with a bunch of people doing dumb shit. There is a tone of seriousness to it. The whole meeting between jerry and carl and gare they were definitely up to dark business well kidnapping you know kidnapping is dark business to be sure but there was always like a humorous release to the whole thing and there's 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 humor scattered throughout and and it is a very funny movie so far but it's about to get much more serious they get pulled over because uh the car that they're driving was something a car that jerry obviously stole from the lot that he works at and they're driving without tags because and then buscemi's like oh sir. he get you know the cop comes over and he's like oh well i'm uh i kind of forgot i guess it slipped my mind i was thinking we could you know handle this here in brainerd in brainerd and then the cop's like can i have your id and all that shit then buscemi just takes out his wallet and kind of like air quotes accidentally reveals some of the cash he has in there and he's like here here cop guy i thought we could just handle this you know in Brainerd. He really emphasizes (laughs) that. The cop then hands the wallet back to him. He's like, put this back in your pocket, step out of the vehicle. And that's when Gurr, being the the silent manly type, grabs the cop. Something else happens first. Gene in the back makes some fucking noise and the cop goes, and then... And he pokes his head in the window and starts looking around. I I missed that detail. I'm so fucking sorry, but it's actually an important detail. that's when makes his move. Grabs the gun out of the glove compartment and then shoots the cop in the top of the head, right? Yes. No hesitation. And just blood gushes out and nobody's ever worried about cleaning blood off of themselves in this movie. I don't know. That was my first thought too. Where is the blood? (laughs) Oh, that's going to be a mess to clean up. But nobody mentions it at all. Nope, None. never gets addressed. Buscemi's response is, what does he say? Whoa, daddy. Whoa, daddy. Gurr is like, go clean it up. Get him off Get him off the street. And he's just going to sit in the car and just hang out. But as Buscemi is doing that, a car drives With by. With very little urgency, by the way. Oh, yeah. He's also the weakest one of the two. So, like, why... <laughs> Why is he dragging this body? And then a car drives by with this guy who does what any fucking sane person would do and just drives the fuck off because, uh, no thank you, I'm good. Yeah, when, when you drive by a police stop where someone who is not the cop, very obviously, is hauling the blood-covered body of the cop, 
it's probably best to get the fuck out of there yeah, as just, quickly as just possible. Go. But post haste, as they say. But you know, Gurr, he chases them. He's driving down yes, the road does. right behind him. You see their taillights, and then you hear like a screech, and then their taillights are gone. And he's like, "What the fuck?" You can tell on his face. He's like, "Um." But then, you know, a <laughs> little further down the road, he sees the car off in a ditch, upside down. Upside down. The dude who was driving gets out, runs away, tries to run away, I guess. And Gurr just fucking shoots him right in the back, hesitating a little bit. Like, I don't think he's hesitating. He's like letting him run for a second. Like, I think he's like having fun at this point. I don't think I he is. Like I think it was just a dramatic I, pause. But I think what it is, is he knows exactly how far he can shoot accurately with that gun. And he's not stressing about it until the guy starts to approach that limit. And that's sad enough. But then he walks over. So, so the last thing, so he walks over to the car. Of course, there's a there's a passenger in there who can't get out. And then he just kind of, you know, we see her. He just kind of, he looks up and then points the gun at her and then just shoots from off screen, obviously. So the last thing this chick, the last thought going through her head was, oh my God, my husband is a fucking dickhead. He just left me here. <laughs> yeah. The dude just bolted. Like a real heroic fella. And yeah. don't get me wrong, if Peter Stormare was stalking down on me, I'd probably st- I, I'd probably lose all sense of chivalry as well. I don't, I don't know how I would be in that situation, but I'm gonna I'm gonna judge him for doing that. Sharks across Hollywood being judgy? What? Never. The movie's half over. We're gonna cut to a pleasant midwestern home with goose paintings everywhere. After that fucking horrific scene we just witnessed, they're gonna they're gonna be like, you know what? Let's be happy for a second. Everybody's cool, right? It's fine. They're not goose paintings. They're mallard paintings. Oh, fuck off. They're birdie bitches. They are mallards. They're ducks. Quack, 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 quack. The mighty ducks? Oh, shit. Do they live on Puck World and fight Dragonus with hockey puck themed weapons? (laughs) Oh, my God. Please tell me that's real. It is. I keep on trying to get you to watch it, but you won't. Yeah, I don't have time for Saturday morning cartoons in my life right now. Yes, you um, fucking do. You have time no. to watch twenty a 20-minute episode because the first episode is 20 minutes and it's fucking ridiculous. It is so goddamn stupid. And you get to hear uh, the dude from Sharknado be all badass and he <laughs> voice a duck. He's he's the he's the team captain. I already have too many things to watch. It's 20 minutes, man. You won't regret it, I promise you. And... Uh, I regret just taking the time to talk about nope. it. It'll be so... You, you'll love it, man. I regret including this much of discussing it in the podcast. There's a character named Duke LaRange in it. Ah! <laughs> oh. <It's> true. <laughs> okay. Duke LaRange. <laughs> they have to go to a place to get this magical golden mask. They go to Twin Beaks. When we got to California, because we were in Anaheim, I said, Welcome to Anaheim, home of the mighty frogs. And everybody's like, What? the fuck are you talking about because that's usually what happens when i say shit like that (laughs) yes uh once again your reputation as (laughs) the master elicitor of blank stares is forged in iron Uh, because the dragons opened up a wormhole from puck world to to california and the ducks have to follow them because the they killed their friend and then they end up in anaheim and duke larange says welcome to anaheim home of the mighty frogs because it's on a billboard (laughs) Anyways, yeah. ducks rock. So, I'm not responding to duck to, to mighty <laughs> ducks related anything anymore. So the in this pleasant midwestern home, it's 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 nighttime. The phone rings and wakes up Marge and her husband. These two have got to be the sweetest motherfuckers on the planet. Pretty much, yeah. I mean the the final scene with them, I just want to grab them both and and just hug them both of them and just like bask 
in the warmth of their sweet relationship. I feel like if we got into a political discussion, I don't think I would like these people very much, but basing my, you know, it on what I see from them in this movie, I should, they should fucking drive me nuts, but I like them. I can't help it. They're so fucking sweet together, especially. And they love and each other the way, so much. Marge is played, of course, by Academy Award winner. Oh my god, I'm fucking blanking on her name. And Jaleel I White. IMDb would be there to save me. It's Frances McDormand. Yes, thank you. Academy Award winner Frances McDormand. Fuck! I don't know what her husband's name is. I'm not... John Carroll Lynch. Okay, but he's in a ton of shit, too. I love the man. He's one of my favorite character actors. Yeah, he is. He's one of those dudes, You even if you don't know his name, you, you fucking, you know his face. Yes, you he's do. one of those guys. You 100% do. You know, they get woken up and she, she she answers the phone. She's like, oh, yeah, oh, no, you don't say and all that stuff. She's like, I'll be there in a jiff. He, he's like, you got to go. And she's like, yeah, I got I to gotta go. And he's like, I'll fix you some eggs. And he's very insistent about making this chick's make, making this chick some eggs. We don't realize it, but she is pregnant. So I guess he's like, he, he he's just looking out for his wife. He's like, you gotta have breakfast, Marge. The way he puts it is weird. You gotta have a breakfast. Yeah, that's right. A breakfast. <laughs> a breakfast. <laughs> he just needs to make her those uh, damn eggs. His name is Norm, by the way. I think he's he's yes, special right. enough, and I like him enough to be named. Instead of just like, hey, that fat bald guy. So they, they eat, and she's like, it's time to shove off now. And she goes outside, and she tries to start the car, but it's so fucking cold that it won't start. And she's like, you know, the prowler needs a jump. And he's like, yes, dear. And, you know, no no hesitation these two are so fucking sweet together but that's not my problem with this scene i just had all these weird thoughts rush into me so they're eating together they're talking they're hanging out she has to leave and he just sits there at the table just by himself and he keeps eating there's no tv no radio he's not reading anything <laughs> like so it was the 80s so people just do that people just did that just sat there and i know they did because yeah. i did that also but it's so weird to think about no, it now. I, I distinctly remember having an existential crisis to, at the breakfast table in the 80s. Just going, you didn't have anything to occupy your mind? this what my life has mind? become? Yeah. In the like 80s? Sitting there you were like in five. The 80s, and no, I was seven, I believe. <laughs> maybe seven or eight. And I remember sitting at the table in my stepfather's house because he continued living there after the divorce. I remember sitting there and my mom, you know, had gotten me up and I had gone in the kitchen and was and she had made me some breakfast. It was uh, scrambled eggs and she had gone off to do something in another room. I don't know. And I was sitting there and it was just that gray morning light. And I was at the oldest nine years old. And I remember distinctly sitting there in that gray morning light and just having a midlife crisis. Where is my life going? Is this what it's become? Is this all there is? My God, I have <laughs> 70 years of this ahead of me. You're optimistic? Well, I was nine, you know, or at the oldest. It was so fucking weird because I remember it distinctly and it was dark. It was so dark. Do you know what would have helped you, though? A Saturday no morning idea. cartoon about anthropomorphic ducks playing hockey and fighting dragons. Boom! Fuck Got it you. in there. <laughs> you son of a bitch. You just had to get another one in. Ugh. And I let you. I opened the door. The back door. There are none of us innocent, apparently. <laughs> Anyways, Marge is a cop. That's why she's going to the fucking scene to see what the fuck's going on. She seems awfully unfazed by this whole thing. What I like about Marge is that she seems, and she is, very, aw shucks, Minnesota. And it comes off initially as a little dumb. But Marge is not dumb. 
Marge uh, no. sees what's going on. The cop that she's hanging out with right now is pretty dumb. Yes, he he doesn't quite get what's going on, but uh, Marge she's got a she's got a brain in there that's putting this shit together, and sure enough, she calls it exactly as it happened. His thing is, oh, I uh, I put out an APB or whatever for for plates that start with DLR because the the cop I guess just didn't didn't get to finish writing the whole plate number, and she's like, um. I'm like questioning your detective work a little bit there, guy. <laughs> well, like, she says Who? it really she <laughs> says it really inoffensively, but yeah, she's like, "I think I'm going to have to disagree with your uh with your police work there." Uh, and then she explains that it was most likely dealer plates. Dealer plates, you fucking idiot, but she's too nice <laughs> to say that. Marge is very tactful. But you're right. I did notice that she's she's it does kind of come off as like she's a little dopey, but yeah, she's definitely not not that. No. Marge is sharp. She sees the angles. Finally, we meet the best character in the movie uh, halfway through the fucking movie, which I think is an interesting choice. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean... A good choice, I think. The, Cohen, you know. the Coens do that from time to time, and I think that may be part of the reason why they started with the, this is a true story, everything is true except for the names. Because they said, uh, I can't remember which one of them said it, but they said in an interview... When people think you're telling a true story, they allow you to get away with things they would not otherwise accept. Such as one of the most interesting characters showing up halfway through the fucking movie. I need to watch more of their movies. Obviously, I've seen like No Country for Old Men and The Big Lebowski and stuff, but I don't know if I liked those as much as I liked this. Well, okay, if we're talking as good as this, that that's a pretty tall order. This is arguably their best film. Personally... I think No Country is a better movie, and I enjoy The Big Lebowski more, but there is an argument to be made that this is actually their best film. And and I would have to concede that there are some very valid points uh, in that argument's favor. So if you're going looking for movies that are as good as this, that's a tall order, because this, this is a fucking legendarily good movie. And uh, even for the Coens, who do excellent work, this is possibly their best. And I'm an idiot, because I was just looking at my notes and looking at the next scene. It took me two whole watches to figure out why Jerry wanted a million dollars and not actually $80,000. You were like, wait a minute, Jerry, Jerry got the number wrong. I thought I thought he wanted eighty thousand, but now he wants a million. Like, what the fuck's going on? Are those two are those two involved? They're like, oh, oh, right. He's a dumb criminal. He's a bad criminal <laughs> who is willing to try to fucking trick two guys. Well, one guy in particular that will definitely shoot him in the face. Oh yeah, given the chance. Yeah, if Gear finds out that they're being double crossed and that Jerry actually got a million for it, yeah, Jerry's a dead man and probably his whole family too. <laughs> yeah, this scene is really important to me. <laughs> Because this dude is such a dick. Somebody brings up, hey, what about Scotty? How's he holding up after his mom got kidnapped? And Jerry's just like, oh, Scotty? Oh, yeah, that's right. I have a son. Uh, He just completely forgot that he has a whole other party involved in this thing. Yeah, Jerry's the worst. Carl and uh, and Gerber, they're they're in this house in the boonies, and they're hanging out. They're not hanging out yet because they have to get Jean out of the car and be all funny and weird when they let her out of the car and she's got a hood on, you know, a a face covering so she can't see anything. She starts running and Buscemi's just giggling his ass off watching her try to escape. Yeah, the second she gets out of the car, again, wild card, she just (laughs) takes off. But but she can't see shit. Her head is hooded, so she can't see. So she's like running, and then she stops, and then just kind of listens, and then she start running in another direction. 
Like, I, I seriously thought she was going to get taken out by a tree. I thought it was going to be like an accident, and they're going to be like, oh, shit. And then that's the <laughs> that's what I thought was going to happen. Uh-oh, she's dead. No, <laughs> she just slips in the snow. Little did I know. Yeah, so that's funny. So they, so they make it to the house. Uh, the next In the next scene, Marge goes back to the station with night crawlers for her husband, by the way, who happens to be waiting. I think he surprised her in her office with Arby's. Okay. Here's another thing that I have to complain about because I don't want to take the time to look it up. I would rather just complain about it. Okay, go ahead. I'll I'll berate you later. Yeah. He brought Arby's. Why aren't there curly fries, dude? Yeah, curly fries weren't a thing in the 80s, I don't think. I, I said I, I seem to remember the early 90s being when Arby's introduced the curly fries in a big big way. See, I knew you were going to not have fun with me on that. So, fine. I knew you were gonna. I knew you were gonna just you rain on my You know, I have to. You know, I have to do that. If like, if it, if I was there and I know a detail of the situation, I'm going to have to hone in on that utterly meaningless detail and sacrifice your joke along the way. We had a discussion about this. Oh, we have lots of discussions about this. <laughs> I can't. Yes, and your inaccuracies, Andrew. I know it's kind of unless a it's with bummer. my own inaccuracies. <laughs> now I'm gonna have to Google it, and we're gonna have to come back so I can. So I'm not just complaining about it anymore. So as she's sitting in the office with her husband eat, eating the Arby's without the fucking curly fries, the cop friend who who came up with that really dumb dealer plate, I, you know, the DLR plate idea, he has a good lead because he heard that two weirdos were fucking some chicks at the Blue Ox. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to be finding out about secondhand, but not unrealistic. We've all fucked chicks at the Blue Ox, all right? Boy, if I had a nickel for every time. Then we're also back with uh, Buscemi, and he can't get a good reception on the TV out there. I'm like, dude, you, you just you were just involved in the, a triple homicide and a kidnapping, so you need to get your priorities straight, man. And, and he he really this this is one of those moments where we're ratcheting up the conflict between Carl and Gear because Carl will not fucking shut up with this TV and Gear <laughs> is just staring at him and you can just see maybe it's just be, maybe Stormare just puts out a perfect blank that you get to impose your own frustration on I don't know that might be the case but for me you can just see Gear being done with Carl Marge and Norm are watching a Beetle documentary or some shit he's asleep and you know she's like ready to go to bed and she's like I'm gonna go to bed and then he wakes up and goes yeah 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 like like he hasn't been sleeping but in the middle of the night again because people like to call Marge when she's fucking sleeping this asshole named See, I even said it like them because I've been watching this movie so much. Uh, <laughs> this dude named Mike Yanagita calls and bugging her at 1045. We'll get back to him because he's a fucking weirdo. Like This fucking guy. <laughs> oh, boy. And she's so oh polite boy. about it. She's like, how are you doing? And all that shit. She's and she, when she clearly doesn't give a shit. What is it, fucking 11 at night? Yeah, it was like 1045 what or something. What an asshole. I saw you on the news and, uh, you know. Is that Marge? Oh, God. Yeah, I saw you on the news and I thought, boy, I, re I really <laughs> wish I could have got to tap that back in high school. I wish I couldn't relate. I oh. think that's why I hate this guy so much is I can see a potential path I could have taken in him, but didn't. Yeah, I get it. I get it that there there's going to be some level of that in in some people. Just don't be fucking weird about it, man. Don't be Mike. Don't be Mike. Don't be Jerry either cuz he's back at the no, office. <laughs> don't be Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> being a being a shitty shitty, shitty salesman talking about the true coat stuff again. If you have to be Mike or Jerry, be Mike, but don't be Mike. He gets a call right in the middle of of trying to sell this guy a car. Somebody's like, "Hey, you got a call." He's like, "Yeah, okay." And then he just walks away, doesn't say shit to the customer. But this is where this is where Carl calls and he's like, "Uh, yeah, shit's gone uh, a little sideways. There's three dead people now, so we're going to need all 80,000 now." And then Jerry does his salesman waffling like it's going to work on 
a hardened criminal. Yeah, he he does he he's in over his head. He doesn't get it. <laughs> Jerry Jerry is fucked. Jerry's been fucked this whole time, but now the nails have been set in the coffin. <laughs> he hangs up the phone and then immediately gets a call from the dude asking about the serial numbers again. He's not getting away with that. He, all he can do is put it off for a day or two. Yep. And then the dude's like, yeah, um, I'm kind of losing my patience. So you, we're, I'm going to have to send this off to the legal department if those numbers aren't here within like the next day or something like that. And his whole his whole response is just, oh, well, they're in the mail. They are. They are not in the mail at all. No, no, they're not even. They haven't even approached the mail. Here's another thing that bugs me. So Marge and Norm are at a buffet, a very Midwestern, very gross. I used to like buffets when I was a fat little kid. Yes. And. I have to say, Storm and I talked about this, and the buffet is very accurate, <laughs> yeah. but not very appetizing. You know what, though? I'm gross. I'd still eat there. I'm not saying I wouldn't eat it. I'm saying... <laughs> I wouldn't go there on purpose. I, wouldn't, I would try and look away while I was dishing my food up. But the part about this that bugs me is they're sitting on the same side together, Marge and Norm. As you do, and apparently. he's left-handed. She's right-handed. He is, <laughs> he is sitting on her right side. How the fuck? fuck are they not just like slamming elbows into each other and shit my daughter and her boyfriend had that argument in front of me last <laughs> night literally last night for dinner oh. i took them out uh we went to ihop we it, it was uh me and my daughter and her boyfriend and my youngest son and we had gone to uh my daughter had played a show she plays cello and we'd gone to the show and then we were i was taking them out for dinner and we and they wanted to go to ihop so we went to ihop and her and her boyfriend decided to sit on the same side of the table and they sat that way because my daughter's left-handed and he's right-handed and they were bumping into each other and they were having a fight about it but they weren't switching places <laughs> they were just arguing about it and neither of them would give so i'm just like what the fuck is going on? And then you bring it. You bring this up. What are the odds? Uh, it's my life, man. This is insane. This is like like I'm having weird, wild connections happen all the time. Literally on Friday night, I described to my youngest son what a McDLT was. Do yes. you remember the McDLT? Uh, vaguely, I don't think I gave a shit at the time. I was I was firmly entrenched in Happy Meal Land at that point. But you do remember the McDonald's lettuce and tomato keeps the hot side hot, keeps the cool side cool. Yes, it if, was a big marketing push. If I don't McDonald's. actively remember it, I have heard of it, and I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it was a huge thing in the late '80s, maybe mid '80s, and somehow we got on the subject, and I explained it to my youngest son, apropos of nothing. <laughs> It was not connected to anything that was going on in our lives. Saturday, I decided to put on the movie How I Got Into College, which is a Savage Steve Holland movie from 1987. And one of the characters works at McDonald's and is going to take a trip to a college. And when she's trying to decide how she's going to explain to her family, because her family doesn't want her to go to college, that she's going to go, she says... It's okay. I'll just tell him I'm going to a McDLT training course. <laughs> and my son just looks at me like, are you fucking kidding me? So while they're How eating... How many movies can you think of that mention the McDLT? Not a lot. I'll tell you. One. I, now I can think of the one. Yeah. So while they're bumping into each other, another cop comes in. This one we haven't met before. He comes in and tells her about Shep. So Shep, Shep's important. So she's going to take a drive to the Twin Cities to talk to him. And so so we'll get back to her in in a minute. Uh, really quick, the Jerry is having another conversation with his wife's father. Oh, oh, and she's going to find out what Shep heard. Get it? 
<laughs> so the father-in-law wants to be a part of this money drop because he's like, it's my money. It's my oh money. Oh my God. This fucking guy. This guy, again, if everything else went right, this guy alone gets his daughter killed for sure. Oh yeah, doing this, you don't fucking do that. I know Jerry's full of shit, but at the same time, you you just don't do that. If they're dealing with one person, you, you let them deal with that one person. Yeah, if you if you're going to go the route of paying off paying off the criminals, don't fucking become a cowboy about it. Yeah, yeah. No, don't do that. You're you're going to fucking ruin it. But, you know, we'll... this guy literally thinks he's a cowboy. He takes a six shooter to the meat. He's like, let's offer him 500,000. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and Jerry's like, no, what the fuck? <laughs> and then his guy is like, Wade, we aren't trading horses here. We're talking about Jeannie's life. Clearly, that matters to him. Like I said, Jerry sucks, but Wade somehow manages to be worse. So then Marge checks into her hotel, and she's like, is there a phone around, you think? It was weird, <laughs> the, the way she worded that's, it. That's, from what I've heard, based on Minnesota comedians I've heard, that's a very Minnesota way to phrase it, because... They don't straight up say, where's the phone? It's, is there a phone around here, you think? Because it's somehow less direct. Yeah, it's very passive aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and then this part where Steve Buscemi is, or Carl, I guess, sorry, where Carl is driving around in circles in this parking lot. For the first time I watched it, I'm like, what? What the fuck is he doing? doing and then the second time i forgot what he was doing until i remembered and i'm like oh yeah he's not just driving all over the place looking for a parking spot like a dumbass he's looking for a new license plate to steal it does look like he's he because he keeps going to spots that would be parking spaces if he stopped yeah but then he doesn't stop he just keeps going and then this part's pretty funny he's got to go through the toll booth to get out of this parking lot it was obviously a pay lot it was long-term parking at yes. the airport and he gets, which makes sense, you know, you yeah. you you're going to find a license plate that isn't going to get reported very soon. You go to Long Term Park, and he finds a car that's covered in ice and snow, so it's obviously been there a while. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. That is exactly that. That was actually a good plan on his part until he gets to the toll booth, and the guy's like, "Hey, that'll be four dollars," and he's like, "I just decided not to park here. Why are you fucking charging me four dollars?" Because he flies off the handle like very easily this guy over four bucks he's going to essentially come into eighty thousand dollars at least he thinks and he's splitting hairs over four fucking dollars he's like i bet you think you're a real hero don't you and the dude's just <laughs> like i'm just doing my job man like I, it's not my fucking fault and i think his final word to the guy is you fucking piece of shit <laughs> yeah yeah you know uh, he's gonna remember you now right this is foreshadowing for later though <laughs> Yeah. So now, now Marge ends up, she talks to Shep and Jerry shows up like as soon as it's happening. But Marge is trying to appeal to Shep's sense of not wanting to go back to prison as yeah, an accessory for murder. She's very smart and very passive aggressive in this. Yes. So and, like she never accuses him of anything, but she's like, I know you don't want to be associated with anything like homicide. That's yeah. not, you don't have anything like that on your record. So you surely don't want to get involved with that, do you? Yeah. And my next note is apparently he talked a little because Marge shows up at the fucking dealership to talk to Jerry about any cars that might have gotten stolen off the lot. Well, I don't know that she's necessarily connected those dots yet. She does down the road, but I don't know that she has because she lets him off the hook. Like, she takes his word for it that nothing has been stolen, and then she comes back later and she's like, you know, how do you know? But that's not till later. This time, you know, Shep works at the dealership, 
So she's going to go check with the sales manager to see if anything's been stolen. Jerry's suspicious as fuck in this interaction. She leaves and then Jerry calls Shep, who is not there right now, but, you know. We'll... <laughs> yeah, who ditched out immediately. Yep. Marge, for some reason, goes to meet Mike. This is one of those things that's like, that doesn't actually go anywhere. We get like, it gets like a payoff, though, later. When she, she goes and hangs out with Mike and he's like, he tells her about his wife who died and shit. Yeah, this this is the only part of the movie where I'm like, there's not really a story reason for this to happen. There's a character reason for it to happen because we're getting to know Marge as a character and her interaction here is very telling of who she is as a person in a good way. You know, I, I come out the other side really wishing she hadn't had to have that sit down with Mike but uh it speaks to her as a character but that's really the only justification there is for it and I feel like this might be one of those moments that uh the Coens were talking about when they said that the audience will allow you to get away with things that they would <laughs> yeah. not otherwise have accepted oh yeah because yeah, there's no sense. real reason to include this scene other than that it's an interesting scene which it is and the payoff is interesting and good but Yes, story-wise, it doesn't contribute in any real way. Carl ends up, he's going out with an escort lady who is not fucking interested in a goddamn word he has to say, but <laughs> she she fucks him anyways, and she's like, yeah, yeah, good, good, good stuff, good stuff. That whole scene with them in the club, she so couldn't give less of a fuck about anything he's saying, and he will not shut up. <laughs> he talks way too much. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised what happens to him happens to him. She's like on top of him and then she just flies off of him. You don't see what happens. Like, I guess you probably do see like an arm off screen or something. (laughs) He looks up. He's like, what are you doing? I'm banging that girl. (laughs) Yeah, no, he I mean, he even calls out. He's like, Shep, what the fuck? But he kicks the shit out of Carl, which is funny i thought he was actually gonna kill him right here when he like chokes him with whatever it was his belt or something yeah i thought well i thought because i knew i i remembered that you know buscemi has more to do in the story what i thought was going to happen when i watched it this time because it's been a few years since i've watched it and i've forgotten you know some stuff i thought as soon as shep pulled carl up into the the strangulation i thought he was going to get away from him and then kill him and it was going to be you know just like one more complication but that's not what happens at all shep just beats the living shit out of him and then lets him go i think marge might have been right in her assumption that she that he doesn't actually want to kill anybody although you know he's he's clearly not afraid of any uh violence if i had recommended somebody and then they went and killed three fucking people (laughs) along with a cop or one of whom was a cop in in the next state over yeah i'd be fucking furious and then suddenly i'm getting calls from the police yeah yeah well then and carl is is justifiably pissed he's like really mad because he this dude i think his issue is that he has a fucking well obviously he has a fucking ego because he's getting all bent out of shape about the four dollars and stuff just anybody questioning any (laughs) bit of his authority and when you like assault his manhood like shep just did in yeah the most literal way possible <laughs> yeah yeah very he, he calls up jerry and he's like the drop is gonna happen in 30 minutes or we're gonna kill your wife or whatever no not only oh jerry and kill your kill, wife oh, your I'm whole gonna, family i'm gonna come to your house i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill your wife and i'm gonna kill your kids and he's like hey you leave scotty out of this i'm surprised he didn't go like wait i have a kid <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> So the deal is going down in 30 minutes, and the father-in-law, he's he's going to the drop. It, he, he's doing it. And of course, he's got the gun, like you said earlier, the revolver, and he's like doing the doing the rehearsal thing, like, you give me my daughter. Where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? If you if I don't get Gene, you don't get you don't get the money and all that shit. Yeah, he's he's doing a Travis Bickle rehearsal in his mirror. So obviously Carl doesn't recognize this guy. He's like, who the fuck is this? Where's Jerry? What the fuck? And that like exactly 
duh. Yeah. There's no He's way like, this wasn't going to go south, right? <laughs> I gave very simple instructions. Where the fuck is Jerry? Give me my money. Carl loses his shit. The dude does have the money, obviously, you know, but Carl shoots him in the stomach. No gene, no money. No gene. That's right. I wrote that. I, I even wrote that down. No gene, no money. The dude pulls out his gun, shoots Buscemi right in the face. And it just it grazes. It like goes right through his cheek. And for the yeah, rest like of the it, movie. It rides his jawline <laughs> yeah. is what I think. I, I think it does. I think what it probably did is like it hit just right to just ride his jawline all the way around and just tore his fucking jaw open. It looks bad. That's Carl getting getting his ego insulted, so he fucking unloads the rest of his clip into this dude. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's dead. Uh, Wade does not walk away from this one. No, no, not at all. Jerry gets there a little too late because, you know, Carl's already gone. And then what does Jerry do? Jerry loads Wade's body into his trunk. Buscemi gets stopped at the gate. So as Jerry's leaving, we see the aftermath of Carl getting stopped at this toll booth. Yeah, yeah. it didn't end well for the attendant. He's dead. The gate's broken. He didn't want to pay $4. And apparently the uh, attendant could not tell that when someone like that drives up to your gate, it's probably best to to just let him through. When someone covered in fucking blood (laughs) drives up, you know what? Take the $4 hit. Is Stan Gross the guy who called about the serial numbers? I think so. Because Jerry gets home and his kid is automatically like, hey, uh, Jer- Stan Gross called twice. Oh, no, 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 no. Stan Gross is probably uh, Wade's uh, secretary or whatever he says. Okay, I guess that makes yeah. more sense. Stan Grossman is, uh, he's he's the, I don't know, conciliary to, to Wade. So the cop who told Marge about Shep stops to talk to this random dude shoveling snow, but he tells it's him about- It's not a random dude. It's It's someone who called him. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we, we don't find that out until the conversation. Yeah. And he tells them how... No, the guy's not shoveling snow. The guy's sweeping his driveway, apparently of water, because, like, there's supposed to be a big freeze and the snow's been melting off. But the guy is sweeping. He's using a push broom. Details. Again, me. <laughs> slamming on the brakes so, yes. to deliver a pointless detail that literally no one but me cares about. He did call them to tell them that he heard about the murders and then he saw basically saw Carl and he's like, yeah, he's suspicious, so I'm going to call the cops and report this guy. Carl said something about... Oh yeah, killing somebody or some shit. Well, like, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to laugh at me or something because the last guy who laughed at me is dead. That's and right. I don't mean of old age. Who goes around telling people that kind of shit? A guy with an ego to stroke. That's true. Yeah. If anybody was going to do it, it'd be Carl. Now, now we got to talk about the Carl burying the briefcase full of money in the middle of fucking nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. So yeah, he takes out the eighty thousand because he's going to split forty. You know, fifty fifty. He's going to give forty to the dude, and then he's keeping forty. But people, it, this isn't real. Do not go to North Dakota or wherever the fuck and try to find that money a person died doing that apparently don't do that someone died doing it i guess i heard the people did it don't do it just don't (laughs) it's not real there is no money there we cut to marge in her hotel and she's on the phone with a friend that i guess she wasn't able to hang out with while she was there because she was too busy and she learns that mike is full of shit that the woman he said he was married and who died he was just stalking basically and she had to get her did she say something about getting a restraining order or something i don't know if she got a restraining order but but it wasn't pretty i know that like like she was pissed with him I think she called at least called the police. But she's alive and doing fine. The dude's full of shit. He's living in his mother's basement. Oh yeah, had that a part. mental breakdown. <laughs> yep. And now we do actually see Jerry copying down some of those serial numbers. When Marge comes into his office, this this is where she I think she's right, she's kind of figured shit out. Yeah, she's had some time to reflect. She realizes this guy is definitely not on the level. And I, uh yeah. 
she's going to have another go at him. She knows he's full of shit, so she asked him to talk to Gene's dad, who owns the place. Well, and, after and, he does quite a bit of stonewalling. Yes, yes. Like, and, transparent stonewalling. And she's like, are you going to take inventory? He's like, fine, I'll do the damn inventory if it'll make you happy. And then she, yeah. again, gets super Midwestern. Well, golly, I... I didn't know you were going to react like that. <laughs> he storms out to do the damn lot count. And then what the Christ? Yeah. And he just leaves Marge in his office, but he really, you know, he just takes off. She sees him driving away through the window. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, he's fleeing the scene. <laughs> no, he's fleeing the interview. That's right. Oh, yeah, he's fleeing the interview. She does. She get on the radio or no, she's trying to call out on the phone and she can't. She's like, how do you get an outside line? You dial nine fucking asshole. Well, she does it. And uh, puts out the APB. And then we cut to Garrer, who is watching TV, and he's eating. Just Apparently he's really into the show, too, because like some shit happens and he's like perks up for a second. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an old soap opera starring Bruce Campbell. What? Yes, that was Bruce Campbell as the guy. And it's an old soap opera. Like, it was actually from the 80s. I think it was an actual soap opera bruce was on while he's doing this uh carl comes in all fucked up looking and bloody and he's got the money and he's like here here's forty thousand. here here's the keys to my truck you can have my truck and i'm, t- I'm taking the sierra and gurr is like we split it we split the car we split the car yes and he's like uh how the fuck do you do that it's a car you idiot gurr is telling him that he needs to buy him out of the car essentially yep. <laughs> and uh carl is no having it uh no and uh gene's dead i think also Oh, yeah, Jean's lying there in a puddle of her own blood, and Buscemi's like, fuck happened to her? (laughs) She started wailing, or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Either way, he doesn't like it when people make noise. Yeah, (laughs) suffice to say, she's dead. And they've been using the the oven to heat the place this whole time. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's been sitting next to it and shit. And and Steve Buscemi's just like, eh, fuck it, who cares? We got the money, let's get out of here. He's like, here's your half, and I'm taking the car, you piece of shit and you know the conversation goes about as well as you'd expect carl then's like fuck you i'm taking the car and i'm leaving and he storms out and then you know the door opens up right behind him gurr has his dopey little elmer fudd hat on and uh and, and an, an axe. axe and he swings the axe and like i said splitting headache am i right <laughs> high five <laughs> i just got that <laughs> i'm glad you're joking because i would worry about you i am a funny fellow now marge is driving she's driving i I don't remember where she says she's driving, and I does she have like? Oh, in, she's driving to check out the lake because that guy oh, who right. had spotted Carl at the bar, Carl had said, "Boy, I sure am going crazy up at the lake." And so she's driving around the lake just to see. And what does she, she find? But the the Sierra that was potentially stolen from the lot that Jerry doesn't know exists. She goes to investigate. She gets out of her car. She's walking kind of slowly. We hear this whirring kind of buzzing sound in the background as she's walking around she has her gun out as you would because uh these fucking crazy assholes yeah yeah, and you never know what you're in for uh and there are three dead bodies one of whom is a cop so you got to be ready there marge and i i think does she end up seeing the giant blood covered snow patch first before she actually sees what's actually happening uh i'm not sure exactly I'm not remembering 100% clearly if that's what comes into focus first, but it's definitely prominent in her vision as she (laughs) comes around the corner of the cabin. Gurr is shoving bits and pieces of Carl into the fucking wood chipper. He's on the the leg. Uh, (laughs) I believe it's the right leg, and he's having a little trouble getting it down in there. 
it's it's stopped at what I would guess is probably the knee. Yeah, it seems to be gumming up the works, and so he's he's got a little log that he's using to press down on it because, of course, you know, wood chipper, you don't want to get your hand down into that thing. If it catches your sleeve, you're dead. Or you're losing that hand anyway. Yeah, yeah, at least. Uh, she tells him to freeze, but it's too fucking loud. She can't, he can't hear her. Eventually. <laughs> he can't hear, he doesn't even notice no. she's there. Eventually he does like hear her say it. He looks up and he's like, huh? And she's like, freeze. And she points to her hat that has a sheriff star on it or whatever. It was kind of a, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's still adorable, even though she's kind of awesome and she's got the bad guy, but she doesn't really, mm-hmm. not yet. Cause he sees uh, her, yeah. throws that plank of wood right at her. And so she has to duck. He runs away. But Marge is no slouch. She dodges that wood like a champ and then takes aim. And it only takes her two shots to bring him down. Yep. She puts a bullet non lethally, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, no shit. The bullet's in his leg, and then we cut to the two in the fucking car. He's in the back, obviously. And she's basically, she gives him a stern talking to, as a Midwestern mother would. But she's going yep. to be one soon, so she's getting some practice here. This is uh, this is sort of the, the overarching lesson of the movie, is, is her little monologue to Gear, who, of course, does not respond at all it's just money why do you want to kill those fucking people just for money you asshole it's all over money i don't want to pretend like this is my own personal thought because it isn't i came upon this because another a youtuber had contrasted and compared the two but this is sort of like the anti pain and gain because the lesson the detective comes to at the end is kind of the same thing only this one is done really skillfully and that one is done really ham-fistedly, but they're still both very enjoyable movies. I love the fact that you have watched Pain and Gain. Yeah, I own Pain and Gain. And the amount of interest I had in that movie was zero from day one. <laughs> it really is. It's like it's like if if you took the the premise of Fargo of like it's based on the true story, but you know, like not really, and then it's uh, like they end up doing horrific things with a murdered body and it all ends up, you know, just kind of being for nothing that they ended up doing these things. And then it, it's all summed up at the end with the final shot of the cop basically saying, you know, like, you did it all for money, but there are more important things in life. She's full of shit or he's full of shit. <laughs> Whoever the fucking detective is in that movie. I don't know. I don't remember who's in that. That's Ed Harris. The, the Rock and Channing Tatum, right? No, it was The Rock and Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum was in White House Down, and for some reason, I always get the covers of those two movies confused, and I don't know why. I think it's because Mark Wahlberg and him are both in, like, Wife Eaters or some shit. Okay, that, well, you know, yeah, they are. <laughs> I think that's why. And they came out around the same time, or at least came to my attention at around the same time. I gotta say, if I had to choose between the two, I would definitely go Tatum. Yeah. He's got much better features, and I just think he's sexier. Mark Wahlberg is way funnier to watch flounder his way through movies. I love the happening now, thanks to you. Mark Wahlberg's inadvertent comedy is solid gold. <laughs> he sucks so much. I hate him. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. So after that stern talking to, uh, we cut to North Dakota. Can't remember what town in North Dakota, but it's there. Somewhere else in yeah, North Dakota. Yeah, I, I don't remember either. And this is where Jerry finally, finally gets his comeuppance. For what? You said you were going to tell me. For what? He's got Wade's body in his trunk. Oh, yeah. Forgot about Wade. <laughs> Jerry is going all the way down for this. I 100% forgot about that. Yeah, Jerry could have gone to jail for some fraud. Instead, he's going for conspiracy to commit murder. Or at very least, he's, he's going to go down for murder 
in the uh, well maybe they hadn't passed those laws yet but you know the uh the the laws where if you if you commit a crime that results in death you get charged for murder those those laws started appearing in the 80s well it kind of makes sense especially with him being who he is i don't really feel bad for him i feel bad for his kid a little bit and then they found his father-in-law's body in his trunk yeah yeah i no, i i, I do feel bad for his kid yeah but, so uh, so he they they arrested him for fraud but then they found the tr- the body in the trunk jerry's in big fucking trouble oh, he's yeah. gonna spend quite a few years in jail maybe not the rest of his life the guy who actually put his wife through the wood chipper got out in 2020 after only serving 30 years what the fuck is this fucking norway what the hell where the maximum (laughs) sentence is only 25 years no matter what you do well they've got prison overcrowding and he was white and wasn't arrested on nonviolent drug charges so oh yeah you know fucking white people we can just do anything can't we i wish (laughs) that wasn't true but it probably is they have nonviolent drug offenders to lock up God damn it. They should all move to Washington. Well, they can't because they're in jail, but you know what I mean. I know what I'm talking about. Anyways. Yeah, those guys in maximum security (laughs) prisons should just move to Washington. Well, now you're bringing me down. We were having fun talking about murder, and now you're talking about people wrongfully imprisoned for drugs. Just just cut that whole section. I don't want to drag the podcast down to my level. So Marge and Norm, they're just sitting in bed together like, like, nothing really happened like and it turns out he submitted some paintings there was a little conversation about him submitting his paintings for this contest but him being kind of worried that like the neighbors or whoever was a little better than him so he didn't know if he was gonna win or not i don't think they were neighbors they were people i would speculate that they were people they knew through his past artwork submissions who had probably won a lot of competitions before because i get the i get the feeling this is something that he does regularly do you not get that vibe as well like enter contests or I think I, yes. I know like he's obviously an artist and does that all the time but yeah, but, but yeah well I mean I mean like he's entered he's entered some competitions and lost before like this is not his first rodeo but it might be the first time he actually wins something he sort of does he gets the three cent stamp yeah and They're he's like put his painting on a three cent stamp and she's like, so that's, proud of but it. that's not cool enough and she's like no it's so cool everybody needs a three cent stamp especially when they raise the postage everybody needs the three cent stamp yeah this is before forever stamps existed yeah stamps are a weird concept and whatever <laughs> I, I i can't even break my brain thinking about that weird shit anyways she she does she assures him that that's awesome and then he's like well in two more months you're gonna be the best mom ever or whatever he fucking says to her they keep it so much simpler than that brett this is brevity being the soul of wit uh although it's not exactly witty it's just kind of sweet and perfect he, yeah he just puts his hand on her belly and says two more months the end the end it's over it's over get the fuck out of here go find that money i told you it was already found by stavros so we just talked about fargo let's throw out the final thoughts what do you think what do you think oh this movie's a masterpiece man is absolutely perfect i can't even the whole thing with mike like no i love it i wouldn't change a thing i'm not gonna read them because we've been doing this for too long but there are one star reviews on imdb for this movie what yeah no you have to read one you have to read at least one you cannot tease that level of bullshit and then not give me an example let's do this one the title of this one is pretentious 
from October 21st, 2002. This movie is one piece of pretentious shit. This is a very harsh story that should be told with the integrity and honesty it deserves. Instead, the Cohen brothers chose to make it some kind of black comedy. It just doesn't work. The story isn't original at all. That's what everyone should know. People that like this movie so much are blindsided by its unconventional, pretentious approach and its sarcastic view. It made me want to puke. I think this guy actually thinks it happened. This guy sounds like he is a blast at parties. What the fuck? Poorly acted. Weak, weak, weak. Awful plot. Well, what? Poorly acted. You can say a lot of things are pretty subjective, you know, like, like taste wise. But the acting in this movie is flawless. Come the fuck on. Oh, uh, the accents may be, you know, the accents are slightly exaggerated. Yeah, but it, that it, was the point. Yeah, I'm going to we're, we're, I'm going to read this last one. And because this one, I just like the title. The title is Disgusting and Dangerous from February 2nd, 1999. This is an old one. One of those movies, parentheses, like Pulp Fiction, where the audience is expected to laugh about scenes of most cruel violence. That's disgusting and even even dangerous because this plays down violence. It's only a movie, you know, in quotes, but we all know how influential movies can be, don't we? That wasn't even clever. I knew I knew exactly where that one was headed to. Anybody, anybody who's calling a cheesy crime comedy from the 90s dangerous, I'm sorry, <laughs> but even if there is danger there, which I am not conceding that there is. There are much more dangerous things you should be focusing on in the late 90s. That was pre-Columbine. That it was re- 99. That Columbine re- was just about to happen. I know. that. I was going to say that that review specifically, though, from February was pre-Columbine. So. Yeah, it, I mean, it was. <laughs> but again, maybe if people were focusing less on the movies and more on, I don't know. Oh, mental health um, and all that stuff. Yeah, things that really <laughs> literally affect kids day-to-day lies like mental health and fucking guns oh what a fucking shocker anyways this movie is actually really fucking good it is everybody should watch it it's it's funny this is a five star man it's funny it's kind of disturbing in that in that way that makes people do that funny uncomfortable laugh thing because (laughs) it kind of it doesn't really come out of nowhere but it kind of does because you're having fun with these quirky douchebags for like a minute you know they're assholes and they're bad people but like the second that that guy's head pops no it's definitely shocking yeah. i mean it's it's meant to shock yeah. there's no question and it did that. it got me i'm like oh what the fuck it's about it's one of those as perfect as a movie can get kind of movies are, are, are we no done? notes no notes yeah nope i'm i'm not rewriting this one at all since we're done you guys don't have to be done you can follow us on all the social media nonsense on everything at the shark pod and if you want to hear us talk more about movies that we're not going to talk about on the on the main feed like friday the 13th or some dumbass asylum movies that are some of them are as good as sharknado and some of them are way fucking worse and you can hear my dogs barking while i'm doing this because they are (laughs) ready to go outside you can you can listen to us do that and this year by the way we're doing the shawscope box set where we're reviewing all those weird shawscope movies and it's pretty fun so far mighty peaking man is my is my fucking i'm excited for that one it's good stuff there's some good stuff in there uh it's not all solid gold but uh there's definitely enough gold to justify setting up a mine. You can listen to us talk about that shit. Uh, Patreon.com slash Sharks Across Hollywood. Give us some money and, and you, you can hear all about it. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's our next episode because the new one's coming out and we're going to we're going to talk about the, the first one and it's going to be really fun. I think. Although I got to say, I didn't need an excuse. Me either. That movie kind of fucking rules. I, I got <laughs> spoiler alert. It's really cool. So we'll see you in a couple weeks for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But until then... Stay jawsome.